Ah, welcome aboard, whether you've got here by accident or on purpose, where you've been kidnapped and held for hostage or merely just hatched. You're at the site of Fishing Without Bait, a lifetime without definitive expectations, where we help people explode into their lives through full impact mindfulness. If you're welcome nowhere else, you're welcome here. The only admission price is the honesty, open-mindedness, and willingness to try. Hello, everyone. I'm Jim Ellermeyer. I'm a behavioral health therapist, and as always, and as advertised, we have for an eclectic group of guests. And today, I'm joined by one of my newer found friends, Miss Gloria. Gloria, if you were kidnapped by aliens and you had to, they knew nothing about the human race or Gloria, how would you represent yourself? What would you say about yourself? Um, wow, that's a fun question. Um, well, my name is Gloria Rodriguez Ransom. Um, I am originally from Puerto Rico, um, and I am a mental health therapist um, to all, but I do have um, a specialty, or I enjoy and love working with Latino families um, since I speak Spanish and I can um, kind of help them at their in their own language. Okay, so we're we're at this point in your life. However, there had to be somewhere where you started to get to here. So, could you connect a little bit of the dots for us about uh, the evolution of Gloria into where she's at today? If I think correctly, I hated math in school, so I knew that accounting was not going to be it for me. Um, but I loved listening to people and everybody would come with to me with like their problems. So I thought, hey, psychology sounds really good. Um, I came to Pittsburgh in 1991, probably dating myself, um, and did my BA in psychology and I loved it. I almost failed high school, but when I got to college, I loved all the classes and I just did really well. And then I did my master's in counseling I guess I also ended up staying in the city. I, I came to go to school, but I ended up meeting my husband. And three kids later, I'm still here. Okay. So could you talk to us a little bit about growing up in Puerto Rico and the environment, the kitchen that you were cooked in? <laughs> yeah, of course. Uh, it is always warm, which is a very big contrast with Pittsburgh. Um, you always go to the beach on the weekends. You have big family gatherings. I had like 14 cousins and uncles and aunts and my grandparents' house. Um, it was always either a wedding or, a, you know, an event of celebrating. I think we always used any event just to go out to eat or make food or just sit around and drink coffee or... Um, adult beverages. So a lot of family, a lot of um, good food, a lot of outdoor activities. Okay. Well, it sounds like there was a lot of your family, a meshment in a, in a family process there. So could you tell us a little bit about how a young lady from Puerto Rico ends up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania? Um, going to college in Puerto Rico, being a Commonwealth of the United States, it's, it's, it's easier. It's one of the things we're, I, 
the only Latin um, population that is U.S. citizen. So a lot of people from Puerto Rico come out to the United States to um, get their higher education. Um, and so I did. I, I graduated high school and came to Pittsburgh. Actually, I was supposed to go to Boca Raton. And my uncle, Tio Babo, I'll never forget. He said, if you go to Boca Raton, you're going to party. <laughs> if you go to Pittsburgh, you'll be freezing and stay inside and study. You'll stay inside and party. Well, and I was going to say, yep. <laughs> I still partied inside, but I did come to Pittsburgh and uh, saw snow for the first time. I remember my college like uh, classmates, you know, come outside and all that new stuff. That so tell me, uh, you mentioned earlier about uh, to be kind. It sounded like high school was a little challenging. Uh-huh. I just didn't like it. I mean, in high school, I think you take a lot of, and I think a lot of kids struggle with high school. You take so many subjects that are not of interest to you. Um, and then you're stuck in this curriculum that, you know, you're taught at, not necessarily engaged in education. So, yeah, I struggled with attention and homework. And that was just not, I, I'm such a social person. I just wanted to be engaged in social things and talking to people. I'd get in trouble for talking and doing all kinds of stuff. So So you mentioned being talked at. Yes. Uh, And one of the things that in Namaste where we try to do is one of the, I guess at least one of my missions, I believe, is that unfortunately young ladies begin to lose their self-concept and self-esteem around the age of nine years old. And what we try to do is to help young ladies in particular, and of course young men, understand that they have choices and understand that they do have a voice. Could you tell us a little bit about your own development in that area? I am very social. I, I, I love music. I love um, art and just um, socializing. So I, I don't think I had an issue in regards to having my voice being heard um, I do know that I think I have a very outgoing template, um, and temperament. Um, but I have, I do, I guess when you're finding your identity from like the age of nine, um, you, I, I did feel like I was empowered and encouraged to, be assertive and um i mean my dad would have us learn how to drive a stick um even as a girl like you have to drive a stick if there's an emergency and the only car that's there is um stick then you have to be able to drive it change a tire um for for the latino culture which sometimes can be very machista my dad was one that he taught all four of us my two brothers and my uh, sister and I to be independent and be able to speak your mind and all that. So. so it sounds like your father modeled behavior for you and your siblings. Yes, tell us, definitely. Tell us about your dad. Huh? Uh, he was he was uh, he was a hood. He was in the military, so a lot of his punishments were a little radical. Um, definitely, always had positive intent. <laughs> His delivery was a little harsh. 
um, corporal punishment, definitely. Uh, in the Latino community, we talk about the belt. Okay. We talk about, you know, the chancleta, which is the... Um, chancleta? Chancleta is uh, flip-flops. Okay. <laughs> um, so... I think as a teenager, I really resented him and just wanted to get out and just, you know, be on my own and do it all on my own, which you never know what that means at that age. Um, but as a as a young woman who I am today, I, I can look back and say that I appreciate a lot of the messages that he wanted to instill. Okay. Did you feel like you were listened to? Not all the time. Okay. No. <laughs> okay. So at times, uh, Glory, what we talk about is what I call core emotional concerns or human bill of rights, and that's to be understood, to be listened to, to be treated as an equal, to be heard, to be given the benefit of the doubt, and to be given the freedom to decide. So at what point in your life did you feel that you were all of those things encapsulated for you? Um, I think as a as a young woman, as a young adult, after I went, I came to go to college, and I was independent over here because I was by myself over here. Although, you know, my parents were in Puerto Rico and would visit, or I'd go home for the summer. But I think once I got married and I guess became independent from my core family unit, um, because they did not always see things the way I. Saw them. Well, imagine that. Yeah. No. <laughs> so could you tell us a little bit about the cultural shift from Puerto Rico and your family unit there to being on navigating here in Pittsburgh? In Pittsburgh. It was rough. It was rough. I do have to say, um, and you, you ask about identity, and I think here in Pittsburgh it was a, a very a shock in regards to identity. Because I had not questioned who I was or where I was from until then. And then when I came here to go to school, there were people from different races, different colors. But I did not fit in either one. Um, so as a Latina, I was too light-skinned for black people. Um, but too dark for white. Like, it just, you don't blend in or you don't kind of go in either or you can actually go in both I as social as I am I had friends and, and especially um, international students from Bosnia and Serbia but you definitely start noticing that there's other people in the world and um, that have different cultures and different values and different foods and different coffee and um, it was very eye-opening so quite often what we do is when we encounter individuals that we're attempting to assist that feel awkward, that they don't feel that they fit in, they don't feel part of. Mm -hmm. And for some people, this extends throughout their life. And sometimes what we try to explain to them, it's not that they don't fit in with them, they don't fit in with you. Mm -hmm. So talk about finding your gang. Talk about finding, as our equine therapist said, finding our, your herd. I think you start building that 
identity as a Latina. Actually, I will have to say that I was always Puerto Rican, and I'm still Puerto Rican. I, 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 I will always be from Puerto Rico and Puerto Rican. And, and I led, you asked me, you know, I'm Gloria, originally from Puerto Rico. This is like um, where I identify. But when I came to Pittsburgh, I became Latina. You become part of this bigger family or you embrace um, a bigger part of a group. So could you perhaps explain and educate our audience on where you come from and how you're viewed as as a culture? Like some people say Hispanic, some people say Latina. Could you help us differentiate? So Latin America is built um, by many Latin countries that I guess when Christopher Columbus came over here from Spain and quote-unquote conquered or um, discovered, let's say, (laughs) Um, and then brought Africans to work in um, slavery, there was the mix of the three races. There was the native Indian. um, In Puerto Rico specifically, we have Taínos, um, Spanish, and then African from different parts of Africa and dialects. So there's the blend of those three cultures throughout Latin America in different countries. So Mexico and Argentina and um, uh, I, Puerto Rico is in the Caribbean. So off the coast of like Florida and there's, I want to say three, most of like the predominantly one is Dominican Republic, Cuba and Puerto Rico, but there's all kinds of St. Martin, St. Croix, and John, there's so many islands um, in the Caribbean. And then Latin America is also composed of Latin countries that speak Spanish, um, being that they were colonized by Spain. Now, in Brazil, which is also considered a Latin country, but they speak Portuguese because it was, you know, um, Portugal who actually colonized them. So there's a lot of history in in the Latin country. We all, I could say, speak Spanish. We all have different dialects. Um, and there's, even from Guatemala, there are people who don't speak Spanish. They speak different dialects from their uh, region. Um, so I think everybody in Latin America identifies as their own country. And when you're in Puerto Rico and you're Puerto Rican, you're just kind of living your life and just going about it. But when you step out of Puerto Rico, then you, I guess, see yourself in the context of a different population. And that is, I think, in the United States, then we have these boxes that the government has tried to put us in. And then you qualify as Hispanic from Española, from Spain, or Latino from Latin America. Could you help us, could you help differentiate that uh, particularly the boxes where you're you're trying to be put into? Um, so I always do put Hispanic. I guess Hispanic is from Española, from um, Spain, and Brazil would not fit in there because they're not from there. So that's why I think they might be um, more categorized as Latino. But the race piece is also... 
one that is difficult because you may have to do one of those kits to really find out where you're really from or if your race is black or white or Native American okay. or Native. So, of course, some parents fear their children becoming acculturalized and getting away from their own cultural identity. How do you deal, how do you, how did you deal with that? I think I've always been really grounded in my cultural identity. I do feel blessed that I am from Puerto Rico. Both my parents were from Puerto Rico. My grandfather was from Dominican Republic. I'm really proud of that and, and love Dominican Republic and, and, you know, my friends from Dominican Republic, but, um, I think it's, you want to take both parts and find the culture and learn about the culture and be proud of whatever, if you're biracial or if you're triracial, you really want to find out um, what those pieces are that make you up. But you also don't want to just focus on that and be stuck on the perception of that, if if that makes <laughs> all the sense. Um, so how long did it take you to assimilate into, if there is such a term as American culture and still continue to keep your identity as a Latina? Um, I have always, ever since I got here, we started promoting the Latino community. I've always performed salsa, cha-cha, merengue. Um, I am a Zumba instructor, so I still dance to today. Um, I've always taken an opportunity to educate others about Puerto Rican culture as well as perform and dance. And and I have to say that actually being here makes me reach more to that culture. When I had kids, my, my middle name is Josefina. Um, and I never liked it. It's the female of like the, the female version of Jose. So I always hated it like growing up. But when I got here... It was something that I hung on to. It was something that was part of my my culture, my personality. My so both my girls are named Josefina. <laughs> I put it on both their birth certificates. It's just I think you try to hold on to. I had to learn how to cook. I got tired of hamburgers and pasta. And I was like, I need rice and beans, and I just there was no restaurants to eat rice and beans the way that I make them. So I had to learn how to cook. And music has always been part of of who I am. And going to dance or perform is just one of the ways that I stay connected to my culture. So the what we do is termed as uh, the helping profession. Okay. So tell us after you after you graduated with your master's in clinical mental health counseling, where'd you go? So I started working for CYF, um, Children and Youth Services. I worked for them for a year, and I realized I did love the kids, but as a case worker, you don't have a lot of opportunity to actually work with the family. You actually refer them, and somebody else works with them. I did a little bit of drug and alcohol and worked in a halfway house, um, and I think I realized that Maybe that wasn't the place for me. So I ended up doing wraparound. And I loved doing wraparound because I could really work with the families and meet them at home and see their environment and just try to figure out how I could support them. 
Um, one thing that also happened at CYF is I was the only Latina there, the only one who spoke Spanish. So I always ended up working with the, the families who were Latino. Um, so that kind of let um, my passion and my practice for working with, with families who are Latino. So when we talk about diversity, we talk about being all-inclusive. Uh, it's a fine thing when Caucasians can sit on the mountaintop, and I'm probably going to irritate people when I say this, that sit and say, well, everything's just fine. I have no problem getting services. I have no problem mm -hmm. getting any of these things. So what's the deal? Why, what's, what's your problem? Uh, and I've and I'm going to throw that word white privilege out there with some people are delusional and they don't believe that it exists. Um, however, it's, it's certainly a real thing. It definitely is. And I, it is hard to navigate the mental health system, even if you speak English, let alone not speaking English. Um, it is difficult to navigate the mental health system if you have insurance and you can call on the back of your card for a referral, depending on the insurance you have, um, let alone not having insurance. Um, so I, I think the mental health system, and I, I have dealt with the mental health system personally with my own children, um, and it is difficult for me as a master's level <laughs> LPC clinician so the the struggles that families go through in order to secure an, 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 an appointment, to have a translator sometimes come with them, um, to get transportation, it, there's just so many barriers just to get to the appointment. Well, when we talk about mental health stigma, and I make no uh, apologies for this or I have no... Uh, secrets to hide. I'm in long-term recovery, as all my listeners know, from drug and alcohol addiction. And I've been firmly in the 12-step world. And in my time of troubles, I've been in a number of psychiatric hospitals. However, because I know that because I was a Caucasian male, my entry into these and the availability of all these services even though I felt at the time that I was a victim and everything was so horrible for me, I real sitting back and realizing now that I my accessibility to these things was much greater. Yes. It took us, I think, four months to get a young man who I was work I'm still working with, um, into a residential facility due to having schizophrenia. Um, and this took a lot of for mom a lot of support in regards to mental health, in regards to social services, Casa San Jose. There was a team of people around DHS. Um, there was a lot of people around this family trying to get somewhere to take him in. And this took in and out of Resolve, in and out of Western Psych, um, being discharged, not having insurance, all obviously became a barrier because then who's going to pay that bill? Um, but this young man was going to be a harm to himself and to others in the community. Um, so he needed the treatment. And it, it took a long time. It took probably additional months that would have taken a white person um, a lot less. Please check out our website at fishingwithoutfaith.com where you can listen to the show 
comment on our discussions, and find out where you can subscribe to our podcast. If you're interested in flying the colors of Fishing Without Bait, click the shop icon on our website. We have clothing, mugs, cell phone cases, and so much more. Show the world that you fish without bait. This show is a member of the Sorgatron Media Podcast Network. Find out more at sorgatronmedia.com.